Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. We've got a great show for you. A couple of things coming up here. We are right now looking at doing a live event with the Silicon Valley Comic Con, August 28th to 29th. This might adjust depending on what happens in the world. But hopefully we can go. We're looking forward to having something in person, but we'll only do so if it's safe. A couple of things scheduled for after that. Rose City Comic Con in Portland is on the books again, September 10th to 11th. UFO Festival, also in Oregon, September 23rd through 25th. So a lot of good things coming up here. Got two interviews for this week. We're going to be looking at the Reno Rodeo and kind of doing a wrap on that just to talk about what it is. And we are going to be talking about, as I said, Black Hat last week. Got live coverage from that. Today's news is brought to you by My Jim Sherwood, offering a safe and clean place for kids ages six weeks to 10 years to learn, play, and get moving. Become a founding member today at mygym.com slash Sherwood. So what is in the news today? R2-D2 is officially a Tamagotchi digital pet. So this is like the thing going back to the 80s, right? Yep. Yep. Okay, so this idea is something that you would carry around. And if I remember correctly, you had to feed it and all this stuff to keep it alive. And pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. And if you don't for too long, it actually quote-unquote dies, but it turns off and you can't ever start it again. At least that's the way that it worked in the 80s. So how different is this one? I honestly haven't seen one, so I'm not sure. But, I mean, they're, obviously it's going to be a little digital pet thing that you can play with R2-D2. Okay. I don't know. So that would be interesting. Maybe I'll have to get one of those for research. No, but, there's uh, there's two different designs. They have, like, a, a, a retro design and then one that looks more like actual R2-D2's coloring. So I know the pre-orders on these opened this week, and there hasn't been a lot of other information. So I'm going to have to get one of these, and we'll review it on the show. Sure. Okay, but you're gonna you're gonna neglect it. All right, maybe we'll get you one of these and we'll review it on the show. Uh, I don't need something else to worry about. <laughs> All right, Tokyo 2020 Olympic medals are made from eighty thousand tons of recycled mobile phones and electronics. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. Your mobile devices have a lot of precious metals in them, and it really adds up over a lot of devices. So mm-hmm. this is one of the things where e-recycling gets so important because. In addition to wanting to keep the plastic and all that kind of stuff out of the landfills, these devices do contain gold, silver, uh, copper, and a lot of other precious metals. So there's companies around. In fact, we had a guest on quite some time ago that talked about how this is done. And they actually go through and extract and recycle these things. And the metals are made from this recycled material. I think that's so cool. Gold, silver, even bronze. And and you think about... Um, when when you think about Japan, you think of technology. So having them make their Olympic medals from you know these kind of parts, I don't know. It just seems perfect. You know, it just and it, and it is. And when you come down to the numbers on this stuff, and this just goes to show how much there can be in waste. The project's called the Tokyo 2020 Metal Project, and it's over six million mobile phones. They were used to extract the material that they used to make over 5,000 metals. That's incredible. I mean, you know, when you think about it, it took two years to get all that together, too. So just a really cool thing, good idea in recycling, and why not reuse this stuff? Exactly. 
Helmet Shrinks Tumor. New technology does have a lot of benefits. There's good and there's bad, of course, from everything. But this is an interesting idea. It's a helmet that looks oh, a little bit like maybe an AI headset or... Uh, uh, what does um, an AI uh, headset augmented look reality, like? You know, I, I'm sorry, oh. AR headset. Oh, I was thinking, okay. I know those aren't the right letters. Yeah, AR headset, <laughs> augmented reality headset, uh, where you can see through it and see other things in your environment. But what it does is it creates a magnetic field, and researchers are finding that they're able to use this to shrink tumors. Uh, in fact, they in the patient, they were able to shrink a tumor by a third. Wow, and that's impressive. When you look at it, I mean, this is the beginning of these type of technologies, but tumors, cancer, all that kind of stuff is one of the hugest things that we have to deal with and something that really, really causes a lot of problems in the health industry. I mean, people, cancer is one of the biggest things you can deal with. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I know it just that area is something that uh, a lot of research is being done on, but there's still a lot to do. And if they can come up with these things, that allow them to be able to treat, not use so much radiation and some of the other things, it's really kind of a good thing. So I I think this is great. It's going to be interesting to see where these type of technologies can go. Is it only, uh, do you know if it's only for like um, use on the head or can they do other body parts? I know in this test, again, it was a, a prototype. This would have only been on the head, but the, it's designed as a helmet, so you would have to wear it that way. As far as to whether this type of technology could treat other areas of the body, I can't speak to that, but I'm sure we will see that in updates. Anticipation for Windows 11 wanes. Yeah, and that's a very nice way to put it. So Microsoft <laughs> decided to hold a Q&A on Windows 11. Mm-hmm. That did not go well. No. <laughs> now, I've talked about this before. I've seen Windows 11, the pre-release. As far as the operating system and stuff goes, I think it's good. I think they've done some nice stuff. It does not seem to have the Windows 8 feel, uh-huh. the idea that it's uh, real goofy or anything. But the biggest thing here, and it is also something we've talked about, is that there's a lot of devices that will run Windows 10 that can't run Windows 11. Uh-huh. And it seems to mainly be due to an arbitrary decision made by Microsoft and not actually is your computer fast enough or have whatever it needs to do this. I know part of where this comes from is legitimate because there's a generation of microprocessors that had a physical problem with the chip that allows for hackers and stuff to be able to get around security at a root level or a hardware level, and that's part of what they're trying to block. The only problem is, is in doing so, it's going to create a lot of e-waste. It's going to create a lot of machines that actually would be able to handle the Windows 11 operating system. And now they can't, so you have to buy a new computer and that type of thing. Microsoft is saying that they will be able to tell even before you download the update. So that way you aren't doing it, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work. But it is still creating a a massive pushback just because it's not necessary. I think people would feel differently on this if it was really like my computer is so old that it's just not going to be fast enough. I mean, all that we kind of understand. But not just up. We decided that's not a model that's going to work. And that seems to be where this is going. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not enthusiastic. Square buys Afterpay. What is Afterpay? Afterpay is a service that's a buy now, pay later. They're an Australian firm. And the idea is, is that you could go online, buy something, and you would be able to essentially have credit. 
Huh. A lot of different companies offered this. Uh, it was founded in 2015 and launched here in the United States in 2018. Now, I know as a product, I didn't see it too much in the mainstream, although it was around, but there's a lot of competitors to this too. But Square has bought it with the idea of being able to integrate this into their system so that if you're using Square as a payment service, you would now have the ability to offer credit through this system and integrate those two together so it becomes part of their offerings. And they're they're betting on it because they paid $29 billion with a B for it. Ouch. Wow. So I wonder if they got uh, buy now, pay later. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, ha, ha. Pay over time. Pay yeah. over time. But these these type of services are becoming more and more popular. PayPal has offered this for a while. Yeah. And a lot of credit cards, just your regular Visa card offers promotional pur- purchases on certain things. I know big stores do this, Home Depot and stuff with their credit cards. So it's not anything that terribly unusual, but it is going to be interesting because Square has always been innovative in the way they do things. And building this into a system could create where you pay with anything that Square would accept, which is pretty much all credit cards, but now you have the ability through them to extend credit as well. Good thing or a bad thing, can't comment on that, but it is an interesting idea. Giant Tesla battery pack burst into flames during testing. (laughs) Yeah, this is an example of something I wouldn't want to have happen to me. Well, at least it's testing. Took them four days to put out the fire. Uh-huh. It happened in Australia. Yeah, power project, a giant battery pack, and the thing caught on fire. So some numbers that went along with this. It took 150 firefighters and more than 30 trucks to extinguish the fire. You know, Whoa. electric cars are a big deal. And they're using this technology to try to augment the power system and all that. And I think it's all good technology. There's bound to be some things, some blow-ups, quote unquote. Uh, and, uh, as we move yeah. forward and all this and batteries are something that are usually pretty safe yes as companies like samsung found out a few years ago not always and i think tesla is kind of in that boat here too so definitely something to keep an eye on but uh, i would prefer it happens where nobody gets hurt and they can use this to solve the problems before it's actually hitting or affecting somebody that uh you know would have some kind of a bad repercussion about it This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. User-friendly is available anywhere you want to hear it, including your Amazon Alexa flash briefing. Just add the user-friendly skill for all of your technology and pop culture updates. I would like to now welcome, live from Las Vegas, Chaz Wellington. Chaz, welcome. Hi, thanks, Bill. It's great to be back in person at Black Hat 2021. So an event where you're actually on site, and we'll talk about that. But before we get into that, give us a real quick explanation, just in case anybody doesn't know, of what Black Hat is. Uh, Black Hat is was founded in 1997, and it's an internationally recognized cybersecurity event series that, providing the most technical and relevant information, security research, and training. All right. This uh, sounds incredible. I know you've covered this in the past for us. What's the one biggest difference this year and pre-COVID? Well, the big difference is that, it's, is that there's not a lot of people attending this year. There's a minimal um, demonstrations, uh, you know, there's just really not a lot going on. The energy's not as, as, as high as it usually is. And, uh, it's just not, 
anything like it was before. But hopefully next year we'll be back in full swing. In fact, this this uh, event is in person and virtual. Yeah, and I think a lot of events this year are going to see that where you have to have both sides and not as many people are attending. So uh, we've got an interview from the floor we're going to be doing here in just a second. And before then, go ahead and tell us anything kind of general that you want us to know about it this year. Uh, well, just that, you know, as as I stated before, cybersecurity is an ever-changing environment. You know, this year is no different than the others. The trainings, the briefings, the arsenal, the summits, they're all the same in, in the aspect that they're occurring. Uh, but, you know, with technology changing so much, we're we're keeping up to date on everything that we need to know. All right, and let's go to Will LaSala with one span on the floor. Hi, yes, this is Chaz Wellington with User-Friendly Radio. We are here with Will LaSala, Director of Security Solutions and Security Evangelist with OneSpan. He's going to inform us about the security characteristics of super apps and examples of how organizations are leveraging in-app technologies like application shielding and biometrics to protect against fraud, as well as how IT, security, and dev SecOps teams are increasing their partnership in the application development process. Um, I give you Will. Thank you so much, Chaz. It's great being here. Um, uh, just a little bit about maybe OneSpan. So uh, OneSpan's a software and mobile application security and e-signature company. Um, so we focus on making certain that applications are secure and users are secure with uh, their authentication needs uh, and risk management. Um, and then additionally, we also offer digital signing and a suite of products around that, including identity verification and mobile app hardening and shielding. So quite a gambit, but all in the security realm, really, uh, about, you know, kind of protecting that user journey and that user interface as they are interacting with your applications. Um, I've been with OneSpan now for about 25 years. Um, so uh, I have quite a background in that. I've helped basically all of our large customers. Uh, implement uh, technologies, our technologies. Uh, and even before that, I, you know, I was an engineer, a security architect, a network architect, uh, and I come from actually from the birth of the internet. So I helped a ISP start up back in the day. Uh, nice. So it's a, a little unusual history, but uh, in the end here, it's all about security. So, okay. uh, With your product, uh, does blockchain or quantum computing have any uh, correlation with your product? Yeah, so blockchain is uh, blockchain and quantum computing are both very interesting topics because they kind of dovetail into what security does. Today, from a one-span solution, we're kind of looking at how those technologies can be used in the future. Many things with blockchain uh, have to do with, um, you know, kind of self-sovereign identity and how a user can prove their identity without, you know, having to jump through a billion hoops and kind of being able to maintain and control who has access to that identity management information. And then when it comes to quantum computing, of course, quantum computing is that ultimate holy grail of how you can, you know, potentially attack different security components and, and break those. Well, it's also on the opposite side, too. We can make things harder and more secure using quantum computing and the amount of work that goes through that. So those are both very new technologies, things that we're keeping our options open for. Okay. Uh, what leaps and bounds do you foresee for your company in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, absolutely. So we do a lot with mobile application shielding and kind of in that super app realm, right? So um, when we talk about application hardening and shielding, what we're really talking about is the ability to protect an application while it resides on an untrusted mobile device. And so when it's sitting up in that space, we're looking at how we can protect the 
the data and protect the application from hackers getting into it. Um, when we look at that kind of more long term, what we're seeing right now is that you know a lot of people are relying on kind of the the platform to do the security. So you know your Googles and Apples and what have you, but that's not good enough. And so what we're starting to see is the the adoption of these security protection, this app shielding technology that really hardens that whole application, um, ultimately leading ultimately leading to kind of passwordless authentication. Um, and they do that not just with hardening the application, but then gathering the context of what's happening within the application and the environment around that and handing that into a risk management platform that can ultimately decide how the user should interact with the app. So should they be passwordless? Should they be asked for biometrics? Should they have some other mechanism to help protect the transaction and the user as they're using that application? So this all kind of leads us into how we see, you know, kind of the movement of user authentication and application security. Um, and we, we start to see kind of this, this movement towards, you know, how do we manage apps that we don't own, you know, and, and how do we secure those applications? So when we look at our customers like Belfius and, and others, what they're doing is they're saying, okay, you know what, a banking app has to go beyond just a banking app, right? It has to be um, something that people want to come and use constantly, whether it's to go to pay, you know, for for the subway or a taxi or get food or, you know, all of these other things that you can do. And that's what makes a super app, right? So the more we can help protect, because all of these different things are transactions, the more that we can help protect those transactions in that one super app, the more, the better off all of our users are, the more secure our customers are uh, as they move forward. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time and uh, I want you to make sure you enjoy Black Hat and we'll see you next year. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, Black Hat's going to be great and looks like a great show floor. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, Chaz, thank you so much for covering the event. Hey, no problem, Bill. I look forward to next year. Next year it is. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0, about halfway through our show here. This is the section where we ask questions. No, you ask questions and we answer them. Boy, we better get that right. So these are your questions for this week. How do you send in your questions? Well, there's a couple of ways to do it. 503-766-6264 is the phone number. Userfriendlyshow.com is the website. One user-friendly on Facebook or Twitter. Any of those approaches work. So whatever works for you works for us. What questions do we have for this week? What is the right to be forgotten? Yeah, interesting question. You may have seen this in the news, and internationally Mm -hmm. this has been uh, something that people are dealing with, governments and that type of thing, and a little different approach. The European Union is doing legislation on this and has done some. And what this is is the ability for you to have the right to have your information removed from online resources. So in other words, if your information is posted somewhere, you can request that posting site, remove it. In other words, the right to be forgotten. That's part of it. There's a lot more of a definition that goes along with it, but that's the direction that that heads in. And it's something that is somewhat controversial, but it does pose the question, if you have something that's posted online, do you have a right to control what happens to that content or does the content provider? 
Well, you know, you're going to have new laws and legislation come about because of technological changes. Absolutely. And we're seeing that across the board. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is Square really accepting Bitcoin? Yeah, since January. Oh, my. Your Square wallet, uh, in a lot of cases, can do Bitcoin. PayPal is also handling Bitcoin. This varies on region a little bit. Uh, Hmm. So from that standpoint, if you're in a country that doesn't allow it or a place that they haven't authorized it. And the other part of it is, is since all of this is kind of a prototype, it doesn't necessarily exist on everyone's account and every platform yet. But it is starting to be part where you can go on PayPal and pay with Bitcoin or Square in this case. And they're, I think, trying it out more than anything and kind of seeing where this goes. I know Square has come out with some recent statements on the ability to accept Bitcoin in a business setting, like where you would use a credit card. So it's going to be interesting to see where they end up going with this, but it does seem to be on that path. Do you feel safe going back to events like Comic-Con now? Listener question, Silicon Valley Comic-Con is coming up in a few weeks here, and right now it looks to be a go. Whether it's actually produced or not, I think will vary with the Delta and all of the different things that are going on. But this is a listener question, and one that I completely understand, and to be perfectly honest, I don't know. Oh. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel either because um, I have a senior living in my home, and um, I'm I, I'm concerned about her. Yeah, and it's a uh, something that we definitely all want to look at because you've got a large group of people that will be getting together in a enclosed area in the convention center down in San Jose. Right, and I think right now my answer to this, and it's also the opinion on whether we're going to go to the show or not is really we're going to have to wait and see. We still have a couple of weeks mm-hmm. yep. to see how all this goes. And I think they're still learning a lot about the Delta variant, too. So part of the problem with all of this is even the experts aren't entirely sure <laughs> yeah. what, you know, what the deal is yet. So we'll see. And if it's safe, I'm looking forward to going. But if we decide it's not safe, we won't. And I think that's the best opinion I can give on this right now. Probably. we have more information. So... Is the new GoPro camera any good? I would recommend waiting a month. If you're going to buy a GoPro, do it in September because the GoPro 10 is coming out. That being said, the GoPro 9 Black, which is the camera that I have and I use for a lot of my video stuff, is amazing. (laughs) I've really been happy with it. It's a 5K camera, so if you're broadcasting at 4K, it actually shoots a little higher than the broadcast resolution, which is kind of nice. Wow. Uh, It has a screen in the front and the back. So one of the things that's really cool about that, and there's different models, of course, I'm just speaking to mine. But when you're recording, the screen on the front, the person, that their talent can actually see what is being recorded in real time, which is kind of a really cool feature. And then, of course, it has a screen for the operator on the back. But one of the other features I really like on this is through their app, the camera can be operated from a remote location. So if I'm doing something that's on a a newscast, let's say, as a for example, which is what I've been using it for, they can control the camera, zoom, tilt, audio, all that stuff from the studio, but I might be recording remotely somewhere. Sounds awesome. Really kind of a cool feature. Now, Gretchen, I know you have an older version of the GoPro, and I think you liked yours, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I loved it. Um, I never got to really use it to its full potential, um, but... What I did get a chance to play with was amazing. Uh, one of the features that I thought was really fun is that I could take it underwater. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be comfortable sticking this underwater. Whether Oh, it has I, a case that it goes into. I'm sure it does. That would still be a little um, disconcerting, <laughs> but uh, I'm glad mm. the feature is. Yeah, definitely make sure you have the waterproof case if you do that. 
This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining us now, guest host, Steve Mailer. Well, thanks from the studio. And again, I'm on location meeting with a new person uh, who also works uh, or is involved heavily with the Reno Rodeo that just completed a few weeks ago here in Reno, Nevada. Her name is Eva Wershke, and she does wears a number of different hats at the Reno Rodeo. And Eva, thank you so much for joining me here on User-Friendly today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, uh, I, I have to give my thanks out to my buddy, uh, Stuart Campbell, who basically has introduced us. And he had a lot of wonderful things to say about you and your involvement in the Reno Rodeo. What are some of the things that you're involved with? Yeah, absolutely. So the Reno Rodeo Association, um, it's a big deal here in town. So I got involved when I was 16 years old, riding horses um, on the flag team. And then when I was 21 years old, I held the title of Miss Reno Rodeo. Wow. Yeah. So Congratulations. That, thank so you. So what, what does that mean when you're, when you're Miss Reno Rodeo? When you're Miss Reno Rodeo, you're the ambassador for the Rodeo Association. Okay. So you hold the title for a year and you travel all over the West Coast representing the Reno Rodeo Association. So how, um, how diverse, how many different places do you go? Is it like kind of like the Miss America pageant where you're going from state to state to state? Yeah, it's a little smaller. We stay on the West Coast. Okay. Um, the farthest I traveled was up to Oregon for the Pendleton Roundup. Nice. And then you go to Vegas for the National Finals Rodeo. How cool. It was fun. And that, that's a, that's a one-year engagement. That's a one-year engagement, yeah. So after that, I started helping out on the marketing committee, which is how I got involved um, doing the live talk shows okay. that we do with Stuart every night of the rodeo um, and throughout the year. And then this year, I'm officially the co-chair of the marketing the, uh, the marketing committee for the Rodeo Association. What are some of the activities that you're involved with as the marketing co-chair? Everything. Everything. <laughs> so okay, our so job, I... yeah, our job is to get butts in seats. Okay. So whatever that takes throughout the year, um, helping the president with their theme for the year, working with all the different marketing or the different news stations and different outlets in town to promote the rodeo year round. So, cause I, I mean, I've been in Reno for since around 2008, but I mean, so when, <clears throat> during the year, when does a campaign really get heavy? Yeah. So we start, I mean, rodeo ended a couple of weeks ago. We're already working with the president to create his Commercial, um, it really kicks off, I would say, with the news at different radio stations, TV, probably mm, April, April, okay. May to push. Um, but there's stuff you run, there's billboards, but all of our sponsors really get, get going closer to the rodeo, closer to June. So when you're putting like a commercial together for something like that, are you pulling from past years where maybe someone has shot video for you or uh, do you engage Stuart's help with something like yes, that? Okay. Yeah. I kind of thought, yeah. That, uh, yeah, he and I were talking um, on a, a previous interview where he has uh, mounds and mounds of footage that I'm going to steal from. I mean, I'm going to buy from him <laughs> he, um, <yep. laughs> for, for Western genre projects that I work on yeah. from, awesome. from time to time. So. Yeah, Stewart's right, so helped out with the, all of that, especially during the rodeo a lot. Yeah. Um, and the president of the association each year has a theme. 
So he gets with Stuart or whoever is filming the video um, and kind of gets their idea and then rolls with that. What have been some of the past themes? Uh, well, for the 100th year, it was a big damn deal. This okay. year, uh, Josh Iveson is going to be keeping it old school. Oh. So they just kind of, whatever they feel that they want the rodeo to portray that year, that's okay. their theme. Very cool. So um, I understand that um, <clears throat> in addition to marketing co-chair, you also do something called the host of Live at Five, which I guess are just video segments. Yeah, um, it's live talk show. So Stuart, okay. has, so Stuart does that. When I got involved five years ago, I think now it was we just had a little table, and Stuart would come out with a microphone, and we okay. would just do interviews. Okay. Um, and now we have a thirty-minute-long section of all live interviews. So we have a trailer on the fairgrounds every night at five. Um, we dip, we interview rodeo personnel, okay. cowboys, Perfect. people within the association. Um, and Stewart's made it an extreme production where we have commercials and we sell sponsorships wow. for the show. Um, and then just kind of give up to dates, what's going on that night, what you should wear, the weather, parking, nice. tickets, et cetera. <clears throat> wow. It's just uh, information galore. Yeah. I, um, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't really given myself a chance to go to the Reno. Rodeo, what? So and you've been I here since 2008. Well, you know, cause I, I'm, I've never considered myself like a. <clears throat> a cowboy western kind of guy you don't have to be you don't, have to, be, <laughs> you don't no. have to but to be fair last year we were sold out every night so you know i have friends who um they uh they're busy on facebook yeah and facebook i'm i am constantly seeing um th them in the stands watching whatever and join and they and they they take it in every single night and then they get really depressed it's, when when the you know, when, when the road yep. when the rodeo ends, so it's like it's one of those things where uh, it's got to be. I wouldn't call it a bucket list thing, but it's got to be something that I do. Absolutely. Uh, well, Stuart and I will take soon. you next year. Well, you know, I keep I keep trying to throw myself at his production crew. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not taking the hint though, um, because I've I've certainly done uh, a lot of production in in my own career. And a lot of it is doing large scale events, you know, concerts, that kind yeah. of thing. So, and I know that that kind of touches the Reno Rodeo. I, I'm actually, speaking of which, are you, are, do you get involved with booking acts that come to the Reno Rodeo? Um, I do not personally. Do not? Yeah, okay. no. So that's the, our executive committee and the president. He, they sign okay. contracts and who they like, and then they'll be there for the year. Okay. So, um, what is the wildest thing that you have seen at a Reno rodeo that you can, that you can recall? That probably is too much of an open-ended question. Like what's, what are some of the wildest things that you remember seeing or experiencing at a Reno rodeo? Yeah, that is a tough question. <laughs> um, every year we have something different, something to see. One year I remember for Patriot night, we had um, air force flyover and okay. then they dropped into the arena with American wow. flag and oh my God, took cool. up the whole arena. Nice. A couple nights they landed outside of the arena, but <laughs> that was a really cool production. But even within the Cowboys, we have top Cowboys here, um, the world's best. So if you're coming, there's just something every night to see and different specialty acts and different horses yeah. every night. How often, and I hate asking questions like these, but I'm curious, how often is it, does someone get hurt by doing a ride or frequently, something like that, frequently. yeah. We hope not, um, but that's kind of the name of the game. Yeah, that's, they're doing it for it's their job, um, okay. and they know the risks that are within their job. 
Um, is it something that you would know as to know the kind of operating budget the Reno Rodeo sits in year to year? Is it like millions of dollars? It was, is it uh, like how much of a, of a funding situation? Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to put a hard number on that. I don't know exactly, but we did, I think it was 1.2 million in okay. just sponsorships wow. from last year. I see. And that goes to pay out the Cowboys and cover our costs and get um, Sandy hats and structures on property, um, yeah. just all just that sponsorship all money, together. all the logistics to yeah. make the production that we have. Okay. Well, Eva, I do appreciate you visiting with us because I always learn something new on this show because it's, it's, uh, I enjoy meeting new people and experiencing new things. So thank you for joining me here on User Friendly. Thank you for having me. Bill, Jeremy, Gretchen, guys, take it away. Steve, as always, thank you. People love the rodeo. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Great show this week, guys, as always. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to take a, so we have a little time here and answer another listener question because this is something that is very important. Is The question is, what is the mask policy at Comic-Con? Now, specifically, this is for the Silicon Valley Silicon that's coming up at the end of August. And you have looked this up, Jeremy. Do you want to address this? Sure. Um, they're going to treat this like you're going to work. Um, they're going to make sure that the entrances are all controlled. Uh, people don't just get to wander in and out. You have to go in. They're going to visually check you. You're wearing a mask. Uh, they're looking for real masks, not a, uh, little fabric gator. So you can't just wear yeah, one no, of those no little neck thingies. Yeah. No yeah. handkerchiefs, no neck gaiters, uh, real mask. They're going to do a temperature check before you get inside. So you're going to have to, you know, be under a hundred degrees <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and then, they're, they've widened all the aisles. They're going to have lots of masks available for sale. So you can wear a fun mask or, or a, um, an autographed mask. And they've got hand sanitizer everywhere. All the concessions are cashless. So nobody has to touch anything. No handing over dirty money. You know, <laughs> I know everybody hates money. There's going to be a certain group of the population that's not going to like not being able to use dirty money. Yeah, but well, see, that's the, the thing. Well, the thing is, yeah, you have to be prepared for that. Apple Pay and Google Pay will be accepted. So you don't have to touch, you know, you just tap your phone or whatever near the thing and you, you paid for your food. Right, right. So. No, in, in all seriousness, that is part of it. And when they're talking about masks in this context, it's not a cosplay mask either. It's an actual like right. mask. It's COVID an actual mask. medical type, you know, yeah, yeah, the approved, like a mask. Yeah, yeah. With, the, yeah. with the normal seal over your nose and mouth and all that and stuff. And I so. would advise people... If you have a helmet or mask to your costume, you know, a costume mask, before you don't wear it before you get in, get in line, because what's going to happen is your body's temperature is going to raise. Right. So you might show up a naturally hot because you've been wearing the helmet or the mask outside, to your costume. Yeah, waiting outside. At waiting in line. So I would, you know, wear your regular, you know, uh, COVID mask. And just and hold the other equipment for afterwards. No, actually, I think that's very good advice. I can only imagine if my temperature was taken after wearing the Wookiee suit outside for a little while. Yeah, well, you were sweating and you looked red. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. 
That is definitely, definitely an issue. And the other thing of it is, is I know like with my costume, getting the head on and off is not an easy prospect. So you don't really want to have to do that. So I think just make it easier for yourself and for the convention, because they're trying to be able to put this thing on and not have a whole bunch of problems. And, you know, it's kind of fun to actually be able to have the potential of doing something in person again. So Uh getting through the door is definitely going to be one of those important things. And then once you get onto the floor, you can put the helmet or whatever on. So that's that's where they're going with that. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll keep you updated on this and everything else as we get closer to the event. And until then, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcasts available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.